Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Mistress Mia's Dungeon. I'm your hostess, Mistress Mia, and you know my big mouth bass. <laughs> Have a big mouth and a big ass. It's true. <laughs> a big mouth ass. <laughs> Hard Valor, Master John, Johnny Hotcakes. Sit I, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> And of course, today we have a special guest. We have Oberyn Zell. He has coined the term polyamory. Uh, he has written several books. Um, you have your several degrees behind your name. You're always impressive. He, he impressed, you know what? I was the other day I was looking up unicorns because I remembered our interview we had before. It's like, okay, I've got to look up those unicorns again that you made for the um for the circus that you told us about. So that was great. So go ahead, John, ask the first question. So we've been, <laughs> you know, like we said, you coined the term polyamory. We talk about a lot on our podcast and we, you know, we wanted to go a little bit more in depth on that with you just because you've got, you've had a lot of experience with it. And we just wanted to um, just first off, give us your definition of polyamory. Cause there's, in the community, I hear from a lot of people a lot of different definitions, and they can all be true, but some of them just really don't fit what polyamory really is. So tell us what your definition is. Well, it was, um, yeah, we tightened that up pretty tightly right away when Morning Glory and I came up with the term. Um, she was kind of um, assigned to write an article for Green Egg on the subject of um, poly relationships. And we needed a word for it, or she needed a word for it. And so we discussed that because at that time, uh, various language terms were being tossed around, most of them really pretty stupid, actually. Some of them involved the, the uh, use of the, uh, of the word gammy, which means marriage, you know, like polygamy and stuff like that. And we weren't really talking about marriage. We were talking about relationships, multiple relationships. So, you know, we looked at... Um, uh, Latin and Greek, because we we go back to that a lot. We both were into Latin and Greek stuff in high school. And um, we wanted a term that described the condition of, of um, having multiple relationships and being inclined to have multiple relationships with the full knowledge and consent of everybody involved. That, that's really it. It's extremely simple, really, you know. Um, and the in, in looking for the right terms, we we tried all one language. Which Greek, for example, would be polyphilia, which, which sounded like a disease or or something nasty. You know, he's a polyphiliac. You know, you don't want to say that. So the Greek didn't work. In Latin, it would be multiamory, but it just sounds awkward and in clinical, and that didn't really catch on. Other people were using all these other terms. One person, in fact, had a term. He was really getting a lot of mileage calling it omnigamy, which means marrying everything, which seemed kind of stupid. And yeah. there was a lot of that. <laughs> so um, so we, we finally decided to just combine the Greek and Latin. What the hell? You know, it's our, we can do what we want to. This is English. We can play with it. So uh, it could have been, um, it, it could have been uh, multiphilia, but that, that really wasn't going to work. So, you know, we came up with polyamory and bang, it was perfect. It just totally said it all. Everything is in the word. Everybody got it right away. It was easy to, to pass out and it became an instant hit. 
and it spread. And she put it in the article that she was writing called A Bouquet of Lovers, which came out in our magazine, Green Egg, at Beltane of 1990. And um, it was a huge hit. And shortly after that, we got invited to go to the first poly conference that was held in Berkeley, California. And we compiled an entire glossary of poly terms with some detail and definitions of all of these. And so that's really where all the, the tightening and defining came along. And, and we looked at every possible variation on the terminology, including things like monamory, which means only loving one person. Monamory basically just simply means loving more than one person. But the implication is the consent and agreement of everybody participating. And it really doesn't work for everybody. That was something we recognized immediately. Uh, in fact, we always had. Morning Glory and I had always been naturally poly all our life. You know, it's like some people are naturally gay. What the hell? You know, we were naturally poly. We kind of thought of it as something like that. And um, everybody isn't. And that's fine. Everybody. Um, I think that probably most people, the normal pattern for, for humans, that's the, the average, is probably serial monogamy. People totally are attached to one other person for a period of time, and then it kind of wears off, and they drift apart, and then they go looking for somebody else. But if the, the problem is that we have these institutions that require a, a kind of monogamous association, but monogamy does not require sexual exclusivity. That's not in the word, you know. It's it's not monosexual, you know. It's monogamy. It means marriage, and um, it, it's not at all um, exclusive to pair bonding and forming a lifetime committed relationship. My goodness, Morning Roy and I st started that from the moment we met. We totally fell in love, realized we'd be life partners forever, and um, one of the first things she said to me right away when we made that realization she said oh this is i can see that this is going to be a lifetime relationship but i've got to warn you you know i'm not really monogamous of nature and well if that's what you really want i'll i'll give it a try but i don't think i'd be very good at it you know <laughs> and when i laughed and she she telling that story she would always say he looked at me like he'd seen the holy grail was um that's the way i felt you know but neither one of us ever had inclinations of jealousy and stuff. It's, and if people are naturally jealous, they're probably not really going to be well suited to polyamory. You know, it's just a, it's just a thing. You know, if you're going to be a jealous person, then get together with another jealous person and be bonded together and do that. If that's what you want to do. Poly nature requires not being that possessive and jealous and stuff. And both of us had been inspired early on in our life by the most significant book on the subject that I think had ever been written to that time, and that was Robert Heinlein's science fiction novel, Stranger in a Strange Land, where he describes these kind of relationships in a very positive way that makes perfect sense, and an entire generation of us picked up on that. The book came out in 1961 and was profoundly influential of, of the whole 60s cultural and social and sexual revolution. Very profound. And in that book, he defines love in a very profound way. I, we always felt he defines love as that condition wherein another person's happiness 
is essential to your own. And, and that doesn't leave room for jealousy and possessiveness and, and that kind of bullshit, you know? But, but hey, like I say, this isn't for everybody. It really isn't. And we've never said it should be. And we don't go around trying to convince people they should be poly or, or, or try to hit on people who are not poly or anything. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> now, you mentioned a lot of that. Us apparently, who are. Yeah. You, know? you mentioned that, um, that you had a conversation, and the conversation was hey, I'm not very good at being monogamous. So to me, one of the one of the main draws to polygamy is the open communication, the ability to be honest with one another about what you want, who you are, and what you want out of the relationship. Did you find that that honesty was was something that was really important to your relationship? That's essential. But you know, wouldn't that be essential in any relationship? If you're having a love relationship with somebody, shouldn't honesty be a prerequisite? But it's not just honesty with the other person. I think the honesty with yourself may be the crucial part of it, because I think a lot of people are not honest with themselves. I've run into many people who somehow think that they should be poly, but they aren't really, you know, so they, so they kind of fake it. You know, it's like people who are gay and who try to fake being heterosexual and get married and have kids and have a horrible life and make everybody miserable because that's not who they are, you know. And I think a good part of the revolution, the cultural revolution that has been going on always with every new generation has been to, to find out who we really are and then live that way, live a life of honesty and integrity. And, and, and relationships, I think, really require that. If you don't want to be honest, if you don't want to be yourself, if you want to try to just fake it, then don't have relationships. You're just going to make everybody miserable. <laughs> Well, well, you know, I think that it's like you, you mentioned cultural revolu revolution, you know, in the 60s, that was your time and you saw that. And I think, you know, like in our lifestyle of BDSM, we're starting to see more of that, like replicated from the 60s. It's pretty interesting. Right. And you see it a lot now with the newer generation coming in. Yeah. They're a lot more free, a lot more open, a lot more expressive about who they are and who they want to be and they're not only more expressive about it they're demanding that we recognize and allow them to be that way so it, well i figured out some time ago that um and as far as i know i may have been the, i must have been the first person to figure this out because i haven't come across any earlier references but i'm now seeing it popping up lots of places um that there's a 60-year cycle of cultural revolutions every 60 years there is a cultural revolution. The one we were just talking about in the 60s was that one of those decades. And all kinds of things start, movements begin. They're very transformative for the generation who comes of age at that time. I mean, it wasn't just the sexual revolution. It was the civil rights movement and the women's movement and the gay rights and pagan movement and witchcraft and environmentalism and just all kinds of anti-war. All kinds of significant movements are gestated in these moments that then shape the coming era. The last one before that had been the turn of the century. It was called the Golden um, Dawn, and it was the dawn of magic and all kinds of other stuff. Each of these has been given a name, a really cool name, like the 60s was the New Age, and the turn of the century was the Golden Dawn, and the 1840s was the Transcendentalist Awakening, and the <laughs> 1780s was the, um, uh, the, the 
the age of reason and the French and American revolutions occurred in that. And the 1720s was the Great Awakening. The 1660s was the Scientific Revolution. The 1600s was the, the um, they called the Golden Age, the English Renaissance. The uh, 1540s was the Reformation, the age. And, of course, the 1480s, which is the first of these, was the Italian Renaissance, which was simply called the Renaissance. And that's 60 years. So here we are. Here we are. years later. Right. In one of these. We're right in the middle of it, aren't we? Your wealth of knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) You really are. Um, So... When you and Morning Glory, you were married and you had your relationship and your your desire, I guess, to make a poly household. Do you find that maybe your first instinct was for it to be sexually driven? Well, I we implied our whole concept of the polyamory was not just for platonic affection. It really did have a sexual component. We assumed people would be lovers, you know, and, and lovers involve sexuality. So... That's what we really intended to hear, to convey. You know, I've heard some people try to stress the meaning of polyamory to say, well, you know, I love my parents and I love my kids, so I'm very polyamorous. Well, that's not really what we're talking about here. So come on, get real. Jeez. <laughs> you know, um, so um, what was I about to say about that? Well, um, part of the thing that drove us was that we would meet other people. We both got around a lot. Um we were in the pagan community. We attended festivals and gatherings, not always together because they couldn't always afford to have us both at these. And then we started raising unicorns. We were all over the place doing Renaissance fairs and things like that. And often we would be just one of us out there on the road somewhere. And we would meet somebody. We'd meet somebody really cool that we'd hit it off with and, and have a great connection, have great sex. And our inclination would be, well, this person is really cool. You know, we're going to bring them back home, you know, to see how they get, see how they get off. It's bringing them back to meet the family. It's what you do when you get in a really cool relationship. You want to bring them home. So we would do that, both of us. And we would meet other really wonderful people that would often remain a part of our lives. I've got uh, people, quite a few people, really, wonderful ladies that I've been involved with for decades and, and still am. And they still kind of sustain me and get me through life. I think the longest current relationship that I've got is with a wonderful lady named Donna who does Renaissance fairs and has all her life. And we've been doing this. uh, We've been together for 41 years. This is the 41st year since we first met in 1982 on the Unicorn (laughs) Tour. We met at the Texas (laughs) Renaissance Festival, and I was there with the Unicorn. And we met, we hit it off, and we've been doing it ever since. And, of course, I brought her home. You know, she and Morning Glory hit it off. They became really great. You know, the people generally think of the, of the um, most people just come from themselves. You know, they think of what's good for them, what their relationships and stuff are. But if you're dealing with poly relationships, it's not just your relationship with other people out there. It's the important part is their relationships with each other, you know. It's it's not it's it's not just like that. It's it's really going to be this. If you're going to have a really poly dynamic or a poly family or relationship or or poly clan or poly network or 
what Deborah Anna Paul called an intimate network, internet, which is a great term, an intimate network. It doesn't mean that everybody is going to work out living together. I, I found, in fact, that that most of the ladies that I'm involved with um, are kind of loners. They, they live alone. They like living alone. You know, they like having relationships. They like dating, you know, but they don't really want to live with somebody. Now, you know, and so Morning Glory and I were like pair bonded. We were, you know, touch uh, tied together at the hips and, and the wrists and ankles, as they say, you know, totally. We, <laughs> we shared everything. We When we met, we were both reading the same novel, you know, another roadside attraction, you know. And it was like that with everything. We found we liked all the same music. We'd read all the same books. We liked all the same everything in our life together. We, we read all the same books. We shared all the same movies, the same TV shows, everything. And we were totally into it. Every, whatever thing we one of us was in, the other was going to be too. But not entirely. There were a few places where there were differences, like Morning Glory was really super into horses and liked to go to horse races and stuff. But that wasn't really a thing for me particularly. But this is the wonderful thing about having a poly family. You've got somebody else you can do that with. <laughs> You know, it allows you to open up other facets. If you're just in a one-on-one -on -one relationship, you're limited to what the other person is into. You know, where you go for vacations, what movies you go to, things like that. You know, they have to be that. Well, fortunately, we had a great deal of that. But the poly thing allows you to open up and explore other facets that you may not share with each other, but you may share with somebody else. And we found that as we slowly built up larger families, First started adding a third partner, and then a fourth, and then that kind of came apart, and then we added in other partners, and eventually we ended up with a, with the Ravenheart clan, which was five people, and we lived together for 10 years, and we worked together, we built a family business. It was, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. We were so productive. It's like having a team. You know, you're not just on your own. I, I miss this terribly at this point in my life. I'm not partnered. And I've been partnered all my life. I went straight from high school to living in, in a college dorm to getting married, you know, and um, being married to one woman, raising a kid for 10 years. And then that coming apart just about the time Morning Glory came into my life and 40 years with her. And she died nine years ago today. This is the ninth anniversary oh. of her passing today. And wow. so I've been thinking about that a lot. And I, and I really miss it. I miss her. I miss, I, I miss that relationship. I miss the partnership. I miss having somebody sitting beside me, enjoying the same thing. I, I'm, you know, I miss having someone when I go to a movie, somebody to be there to share the movie and talk about it afterwards. You know, just went and saw the Guardians of the Galaxy the other day. Great movie. Totally loved it. But I was there all by myself. You know, it's just not the same. It really isn't. And I and I miss that. But a polydynamic allows you to have more of that. It's a more of everything. And we just never, people would always say, that must be really difficult. And we never saw that. We never saw the difficulty. To us, it was always, this is what makes everything else work. You know, you got other people there. And, you know, I, I know that some polydynamics that have been popular throughout history have only involved allowing one husband, for example. Lots of wives but only one husband, which seems really dumb to me. I, I don't really quite get that. That just doesn't make a bit of sense. How can Not enough penises. 
I, I, well, I, I don't know, but that's how they do it. That's how the Mormons do it, and that's how the Jews did it in ancient times, and that's how the Muslims do it. They'll have one husband and a bunch of wives. Now, there's a few people, a few groups that, um, that have a different model, very few, yeah, like in India and some places in China where um, women may have multiple husbands or partners. But that's rare. It, it really is. And it shouldn't be. It should be the norm. It should that people should have multiple relationships. And I think most people seem to be inclined to do that on some level, even if only sequentially. But the nice thing about being poly is you don't have to break up with somebody just because you found somebody new. You can bring them in. You know, the more the merrier, you know. Right. And you mentioned something that I've, I've said a lot before. You know, you're unpartnered, but that doesn't mean that you're not part poly anymore. It just means that you not in a relationship with someone right now. You can be in a relationship with one other person and still be poly. It just means you haven't found another person yet. You're open to it. You just haven't found that person. So I appreciate well, that. That, is, that is true. Yeah. Well, I, I do have several lovers, but I haven't been able to be with them much out here because, you know, they're mostly somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, and I'm looking, you know, I mean, I, I go to festivals and events and gatherings and I, you know, I check them out, you know, and see if there's somebody that might work out. And if we, manage to hit it off and spend a night together and we'll see where it goes. And, and I'm open for that, you know, Yeah. but um, I'm not pushing it or anything, you know, but I will definitely be, um, be open to having another partner in my life. And I really hope that that will happen. That's great. I know with my group of friends, uh, we don't see each other a lot, you know, three or four times a year, but we know that we love each other. And we know that when we get together, that, you know, we're going to spend time together and we're going to have that relationship. It may be sexual that at, when we see each other, it may not. But it's okay to have those relationships and be open with each other and to say, hey, I do love you, but I also love this person and I love this person. And some of them are the same people and some of them aren't. But it's nice to be able to have that connection with someone and, and be able to talk to somebody openly and freely about another relationship that they're having with someone else without the jealousy and everything getting in the way. So it is it really is, nice. Yeah. Is. Jealousy seems like a bad idea to me. I don't see any value in it. I, I really don't. If you look at, at all the uh, stories, the novels, the TV shows, the movies, everything else that involve people with jealous relationships, they always turn out bad. They're awful. You know, people people commit murder over jealousy. They, they do terrible things. They have awful stuff, make each other miserable, abusive violence, um, all kinds of stuff. Why do that? It's Why is this considered to be a good idea at any level? It seems like a terrible idea. You know, Morning Glory and I used to, to watch these movies or stories, you know, like even classics like um, Camelot type of thing, you know, that there are. And we say, well, now, if the people were just poly, this would have all worked out fine. You know, we would say, well, there's another example of how monogamy is such a bad idea. But again, we've got to talk about make, make that distinction between the pair bonding and the sexual exclusivity. You know, in all of the all of the mammals that have been I studied, and and most of the birds that have been studied, um, there are no known mammals at all that um, are monogamous in the sense of sexually exclusive. There is only one primate that is known that that pair bonds. And that is a little monkey in South America called the titty monkey. And they cuddle together all the time. 
you know, with the, you know, two of them together. They get up in the morning and go around the edges of their territory and scream at the neighbors and then spend the whole day sitting in a branch with their tails wrapped around each other, grooming each other and loving on each other. And they seem like a perfect example of a monogamous couple. Except that they've done DNA studies on the offspring. And they found that the offspring are never from the other partner. They all, they all go out and, and have sex with somebody else and have babies with them. Then they come back together and they raise the babies and they do that. And they found the same thing to be true across the board with all the creatures that appear to be monogamous, you know, from geese and, and raptors to, well, there's not a lot of them actually, but um, whenever they have found that, they've done <laughs> DNA studies on the offspring. There's books about this now. And they find that they are not sexually exclusive, even though they're totally bonded pairs. And, and I think people need to understand this, that, that um, monogamy, being married to one person, that's cool. You know, Morning Glory and I were totally bonded as a monogamous couple in that sense. But sexual exclusivity has never been a part of the problem, of, of the pattern. And it, and it isn't even today. I mean, people who are monogamous couples go out and cheat on each other and they go have sex with somebody else. Well, then they're not really monogamous by that sense, by the sense that they claim it to be, if in fact, they are doing that, which they are all the time. You know, I, I, I imagine, I suspect, and I haven't seen studies, but I think there's probably studies, the, the percentage of people who actually are sexually exclusive in a lifetime monogamous relationship. Um, but I'll bet it's not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, and for me, the jealousy part usually comes from insecurity with yourself. Because a lot of times, you know, you look at someone and you're sexually attracted and you want to have sex with that person. But if your partner feels those same feelings, which are normal feelings and are healthy feelings, if they feel them, then you're upset because you're afraid that they're going to go find someone else and they're not going to love you anymore. Which, to me, if it's a natural emotion and it's a natural feeling, you should be able to share that, that aspect of yourself with your partner. And a lot of people just can't do it. Well, that's certainly true. And I think you hit upon the core of it all is insecurity. From the moment we met, Morning Roy and I never had any sense of insecurity about each other. We knew we were totally madly in love. We would be for our life. We had 40 years together. If we could have had another 40, we would have been just as happy. You know, we were madly in love with each other. Never, but There was never any sense of insecurity there. So if you're in a relationship with somebody and these things come up, then obviously... That's a symptom of a deeper insecurity, which needs to be addressed. And you should be looking at that. What is it that's missing here? What's, uh, what can you do to make the other person feel more secure? Sometimes it can be just as simple as, you know, bringing flowers and chocolates occasionally or taking them out to dinner, you know, um, because often what happens is that with a new relationship, that NRE, new relationship energy, people tend to, you know, turn away from the person that there's their primary partner and put all their attention on the new person. And that's not a good thing to do. You know, you really have to pay attention to that. But this is where the honesty comes in. If you're feeling that you're being neglected, then you have to be clear about that. You have to be honest and say, I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little left out here. I'm feeling a little neglected. But if you put it in the form of jealousy, then um, it's a different kind of emotion. And there's no really a healing of that. You know, there's a way you can address the thing of feeling neglected or insecure. You can do something. But what do you do 
if somebody is jealous. You just you're jealous. What am I supposed to do about that? You know. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we come across different people, and you know, they try to define um, different aspects of of being poly, and I think they confuse it with being a swinger. And yeah. and John and I see that too often. We'll see it all the time. Where it's okay to bring a girl into a relationship, and now we have a third partner as long as she's the only one and you can't the other partner can't go out say the husband can't go out and have a girlfriend on the side he can have a girlfriend if they're together or the girl or the wife can't have a boyfriend at all because that's not what the agreement was the agreement was we would have we both have sex with a girl because yeah. and to me that's not polyamory at all you know that's that might be a dynamic in the relationship but putting restrictions on who you can have a relationship with and who you can love. That's not polyamorous. Well, you you got that right. You know, the thing is that people want to make um, rules. They want to control other people. They want to control. So nobody wants to have rules made to control them. That's the thing, you know. <laughs> We've got a basic principle. You should only make rules that you yourself want to be governed by. That's a good start, you know. Because as you know, if you if that was applied, I think it would make a huge difference. But then people make these unenforceable agreements. I, I knew one couple that tried to experiment with polyamory. So the agreement they made was that the other person had to always come home and spend the night with them. Well, the, the woman got involved with somebody who lived a long way away, and they had a, a late night date, and it simply wasn't practical for her to try to come home that night. And that was the end of the relationship. You know, the next day, her husband said, well, that's it then after 20-some years. You know, you blew it. You, you broke the agreement, you know. Well, it wasn't her agreement. It was his conditions. He imposed the conditions. And imposing conditions on someone is not an agreement. Making rules for somebody else is not an agreement. You know, in, in, in BDSM dynamics, there's, there's a lot of contractual kind of stuff. Sometimes it goes to elaborate the contracts, agreeing what's what we're going to do and what we're not going to do and what's agreeable. That's all well and good for that type of a relationship. But you can't build a life on that kind of stuff, you know? You know, and making unenforceable um, conditions, unenforceable agreements that the other person does not really hold in their heart or come up with, when you impose these, you say, well, you got to do this, or I insist you do that, or I'll let you do this if you agree to this. Yeah, that's that's not a relationship. That's you know, yeah, that's control and, and manipulation. Right. The minute you try to control someone, it's not love anymore. It's more it's the fear that they don't love you back. You you have to do right. these things to prove to me that you love me back. And not right. I love you enough to trust you to to know that you that when you say you love me, you do, and that you do want to have this relationship with me and that other people don't affect our relationship. If anything, it'll make our relationship stronger because now we have something else that we can talk to and more dynamics in our personal life that we can share with our partner. Well, we actually found that uh, that um, uh, having other relationships and, and bringing them in uh, was great for our relationships. It kind of amped up the NRE energy that we shared with each other. You know, it's like, you know, you can get kind of tired and jaded after a while if you never have any new novelty or anything interesting happening. You bring that in and everybody's excited. Wow, you're and you're just really charged. You know, you come 
you might come home from a date and want to have sex, you know, because <laughs> you're, you're charged, you know, you're up with it, you know. And so I've had so many people talk to me after years and years of marriage or relationships that, that this, the spark just isn't there anymore. It's just gone out of it. They say, well, how do you guys manage to keep your spark on? You say, well, we keep bringing in reinforcements. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like your relationship with Morning Glory was absolutely amazing. I'm sure so many people were envious of that. Well, they shouldn't be envious because they could have this too. There was nothing special. There was nothing special about us in that way. We weren't like superheroes or something. We were just <laughs> ordinary people who loved each other, you know, um, we, we just didn't try to control each other. You know, we, we were secure in that. We knew that we loved each other. And if you don't know you love each other, well, what are you doing there? You know, it's true. You just, it, you made it sound so simple, but for so many people, it's so difficult for them to attain that. I mean, let alone find your true person, you know, your true soulmate. And it sounded as if you, that that's what the two of you were. Like you said, well, that's the trick. It really is. I mean, you do have to find, the right partner, and yeah. which is why having a movement, having um, having things like these videos, having workshops, having gatherings and communities uh, to meet other people. You meet other people who share what you what you have. You know, early on in our life, you know, we were all alone there. You know, we thought we were like changelings. You know, I used to go out in the backyard with a flashlight to try to signal the flying saucers to come and take me home. You know, they dropped me off here somehow, and this couldn't be where I'm supposed to be, you know. And looking for my own people, finding my own people was a lifelong quest. And eventually I did. I found a few people here and there, and we had some long conversations. Should we just keep this little wonderful thing among ourselves, or should we run the flag up the flagpole and say, hey, here we are. Anybody else out there? Come on <laughs> over. And that's what we did. And... um and, and people have people said, yeah, you too. You're there. Me too. Wow. You know, I feel the thing that you hear all the time from gatherings, um, well, pagan gatherings in particular, is that people will say, I thought I was all alone. And now I see that there's other people and I feel like <laughs> I've finally come home. And you get to say that most beautiful phrase, welcome home. You know, what's wow. more beautiful than that? And every gathering Perfect. now, every pagan gathering you go to, there's always a big sign over the entrance that says, welcome home. And in constant conversation that people have with new people, welcome home. And I think that welcome home thing is crucial to all of this. And it isn't just, that's the same thing for the gay community. You know, it's true for the trans community. It's true for ethnic communities. Anywhere, if you're all alone by yourself, you can feel pretty isolated. But if you can get together with a, with other people and feel like you're part of a, a family, a tribe, a community, um, it's a wonderful feeling. It really is. And we are designed you know, as, you know, we are primates. We're basically not designed to be loners. We're designed to be, you know, uh, with others, like, like, like dogs or wolves or pack animals. You know, they're not designed to be all alone. <laughs> you know, they're, they're designed to be with the pack. <laughs> that's awesome well we're out of time but yeah thank you for coming and talking with us again it's been great we loved you talking to you last time even more inspirational this time i really appreciate it sure sure well, well, you're very well. welcome i hope this was useful <laughs> thanks so much Alvaron. truly thank you very much well, well until next time anytime 
Anytime, guys. Anytime. All right. And, and until next time, making all of your homecoming fantasies become realities. <laughs> <laughs>